Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... He didn't stop the persecution when it came to him. Amen? He endured it and he went through it. And for some reason, he doesn't choose to stop all the persecution that comes our way. And we're going to see as we go through this chapter that sometimes Satan's temptation is God's test. Satan's is tempting you to walk away from God, to cash it all in, to quit. And God is saying, I'm proving you. I'm proving you faithful. As Christians, one of the most difficult trials of our faith is when God tests us. We want to believe that He is working everything for our good. But when times are rough, do we maintain this belief? Or does it drive us away from Him? In today's message, Pastor Bill wants you to know that no matter what, you need to trust in God's process. He is always working everything for your best, and the more you try to push away His plans, the less satisfied you'll be. Remain steadfast through all the tests that come your way. Now, here's Pastor Bill. In the book of Revelation chapter 2, as he begins his message, the Church of Smyrna. So I want to rehearse a few things because my hope is that as we as we continue through Revelation that you guys are going to be able to capture uh, this book. So uh, Revelation, the word, the name or the, the name of the title of the book, Revelation, that word means what? The unveiling. So this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Like no other book of the Bible, the book of Revelation is going to unveil, uncover, reveal to you the person of Jesus. So in every study, it'll be my job to express to you guys what is this teaching us about Jesus. And so we'll look at that on every page of every you know section of this book. Now, the book of Revelation is the only book that has a special blessing uh, to those that would read it, hear it, and keep the word. That was in chapter 1, verse 3, where John said, blessed, blessed are you if you read these things, uh, the, the burdens that it reads it, hears it, and keeps the things that are written in it. So um, I believe if you read uh, and hear and obey all of the Bible, you'll be blessed. But Revelation specifically tells you that those that read it, hear it, and keep the things that are written in it will be blessed. So we can expect to be blessed as we go through this book. Amen. The key to the book of Revelation, the key to how it breaks down is given to us in what verse? Chapter 1, verse what? 19, all right? The key to the book, you should just write these things down. I want y'all to know them. The key to the book of Revelation is in chapter 1, verse 19, where it breaks the book into three parts. John is told, write the things which you have seen, past tense. That is chapter 1. He has seen the glorified Christ, which we saw as we went through chapter 1. Then he says, write the things which are, that is the church age, that is chapters two and three. The portion that we're covering now is the letters are written to the seven churches. Then he says, write the things which that, will, that will be after this, that will take place after this. That's the Greek word metatauta that we'll see as we come into chapter four, which will identify to us the things that take place after this. From chapter four on through the rest of Revelation to 22 is future. So the book breaks down in the past, present, future, and it's given to us in chapter 1, verse 19. So we're studying the section of the book that is dealing with the present, the church age. You guys with me? All right. So last week we covered the first church, the church of Ephesus, and we noted that there's some things that he says to all the churches. This is Jesus giving his evaluation, if you will, of these churches. 
And to all the churches, there's some things that he says to each one. To each church, uh, he addresses it to the the, um, angel or the pastor, the messenger, the pastor of that church. And he presents himself in some way that has something to do with what he has to say, what his message is to that church. So to the church of Ephesus that had lost their first love, he reminded them, he came to them as the one that holds the messengers in his hands and is walking in the midst of the churches um, and and coming to to deal with them, coming to judge if they don't get it right. To the church that we're going to look at today, this church of Smyrna, this persecuted church, he's going to come as the one that was alive and then dead and then lives again. Um, But he presents himself to each church with some characteristic of what, you know, the message he has for that church. He tells all seven churches, I know your works. And he begins to list the works. Some churches have good works and bad. Some churches have all good. Some churches have only commendations. Some have commendations and corrections. Um, the, The church today, Smyrna, is one of the two churches to which there's no correction. Jesus has no word of rebuke or correction for this church, only encouragement for them. Uh, that means that they're in a good place. If God don't have any correction for you, you're doing good. Amen? So we're going to learn that this church, that th- though they didn't look good on the surface, they were struggling, they were being persecuted, but from Jesus' perspective, he was giving them the major thumbs up. Amen? We should pay attention to that as we look at this. Uh, he also says to each church, he makes a price as he who has an ear, an ear to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And lastly, he tells every church, he makes a promise to those that overcome. If you overcome, he says to each church, he makes a promise. And the promise is different to each church. So with that, let's look at the church of Smyrna, the persecuted church. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. It says, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write. And I want you to, I was just, I was really thinking this one through, right? These letters, so imagine that you're the pastor of the church in Smyrna. You guys are being smashed. You guys are being persecuted. Uh, Domitian is the Roman emperor. He hates you guys. The Christians of this day were, they were really a, a thumb in the face of uh, the idolatry that was there in this area of Smyrna, where people actually worshiped the Roman emperor. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. There was it became compulsory where they had to worship him. And Christians are like, nah, we can't do it. Now nah, we're not going to offer incense to the, the, the emperor of Rome and, and, you know, we're just not going to do it. And so they came under persecution. It was layers of the persecution. There was social persecution where people looked at you like you was dumb and they didn't like you. They didn't appreciate you. But then it became, uh, it, it, it hindered them financially. This church we're going to find out is poor because they lived in an era where it's like, well, we're going to persecute you guys. We won't hire you because you're one of those. You can't keep your job. You won't get promoted. You get moved out of your position. And so the church in Smyrna, those that held to their guns, these believers were struggling. They became poor uh, in the midst. But imagine being the pastor of this church and you got a letter from Jesus. I mean, you, you, the letter comes and you're like, man, I, oh, I can't wait. I'm sure that people were hoping Jesus was going to say, hey, guys, I'm going to fix all of this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to smash the Roman emperor, man. You guys are getting ready to run things. You was broke. You're going to be balling. I'm going to fix it all. That's what I would want to hear, right? If I, was over, if I was a Christian in this era and it was tough going, I want to hear, God, tell me how you're going to fix it all for me. And you're going to find that that's not what Jesus has to say at all. He actually says, if I can summarize, he says, it's going to get worse, but it's going to be worth it. Um, so... Pay attention to, we're learning about Jesus through this. So he doesn't say, hey guys, 
I'm going to fix it all for you. I'm going to take away the difficulty and challenges. He actually says to them, as we'll see as we go through the letter, it's going to get worse. So again, to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Um, now, we, we know through church history. Anybody know who the pastor of the church in Smyrna uh, was? Anybody, anybody heard who he may have been? So some believe it, it was some believe it was Polycarp. And you can look at you can look at there's a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can look at his life. He was one of the last people uh, personally discipled by the Apostle John. Church history tells us about him that at 86 years of age, um, during one of the, the, the waves of persecution that came through, that Polycarp was ordered to burn incense, incense to Rome, um, to Caesar. And he wouldn't do it. All he had to do was burn incense to Rome and, and honor the Caesar. And he wouldn't do it. And his, this is his statement. Um, it's recorded in several books. But he said, how can I deny him who has been faithful to me this, uh, this six and 80 years? He asked, consequently, he was sentenced to burn at the stake. And it says when the fire failed to burn him, um, they came through and they pierced him. And then the blood put the fire out. Um, but they eventually killed this man, Polycarp, for his faith in Christ. That's the kind of guy he was. And so I know as Christians in California, we don't know a whole lot about persecution. Not the way the Bible te- deals with persecution. You may have had somebody make fun of you, maybe. You may have had somebody disagree with you strongly, maybe. But I don't know that we know this kind of persecution where, you know, people are losing jobs. I've, now, people do get persecuted for their faith. Uh, they get shunned for their faith. I think of uh, 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 Tim Tebow. You know, he was trying to honor God when he get a touchdown, and he, you know, they called it Tebow, and you know, he would bow down and give. And then they, 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 they wanted him to not do it anymore. And he kind of got blackballed out of the NFL for that. You know, um, there are other people that got put out of other things, but that's, you know, that's not this Sunday's message. You know, but I look at him and I think, you know, he was still good enough. He was still better than some of the people that were there, and he couldn't get a job. So he went to go preach. <laughs> so Timbo, I don't know if you know, Timbo's preaching now. He's got a, uh, he's speaking the word in different places. But that's in our day, in our age. That was a grown man that was doing his job and just giving glory to God when he got a touchdown. And they said, we don't like that in our NFL. It's, it's bothering people that you, Tebow, that you bow down and give, you know, just, just give God a, a, a shout out at the touchdown. That's crazy to me. But that we live in, in our day, that happened. And most people are not bothered by that. Most people are like, yeah, he should just keep that private. We don't want to see all that. Just make a touchdown and shut up. Um, and so, you know, that I would consider that lightly, you know, persecution. We're, this is what you can know, that as time goes on, we will experience more and more. And we may all endure it to some degree. Um, and so I think as we look at these letters and what Jesus has to say will encourage us how we should handle, think about persecution when it does happen. So what we know about this place, Smyrna, it was a beautiful and a wealthy city. It was a trade city. Um, some people called it or referred to it as the glory of Asia um, in, its, in its heyday. It was a commercial or a trade city, which made it also, again, a very wealthy city, which would make it interesting that these believers were so poor in such a rich area. And that was part of the persecution that they were enduring and experience in, in this time. So moving on, it says, these things says the first and the last who was dead and who came to life. And so again, Jesus always to each church is presenting himself 
in some way that has something to do with what he's saying or his message to this particular church. To this church, he says, look, I'm the first and the last. Uh, this is a description of Yahweh, of the, the God of the Bible. I'm the first and the last. He says, I was who was dead and came to life. Um, these are things that only can be true about him. He was dead and he came back to life. He lives again. He didn't just come to life. He came to life to continue to live. He said, that was me. Why would he come to a persecuted church with that? Reminding them, look, I'm the one that has power over death. Um, we're going to see as we get deeper into the letters because he doesn't want them to fear death. He doesn't want them to cower. He doesn't want them to fold. He's going to tell them, don't fold. Be faithful even if it means death. And I want you to consider this as Christians, right? How many of us, if it came down to that, how many of us are, are, are committed to the Lord to that degree? And you might not be able to answer that truthfully, but you can think about it. Um, you can think, just you, you, you can ponder this in your own heart and mind. Are you, would you be faithful to death? If we, if we were living in, a, in an era where you might die, for would you believe, would you fold? Do you believe that much? Or would you fold? Would you say, oh, I got to, you know, we got to take care of me and my family, man. You know, I got to just, you know, God knows my heart, <laughs> you know. Um, I, I, think, I think, you know, we live in an era where a lot of people that claim belief and think belief, if it were really put to the test, don't really believe like they think they do. One of the blessings and benefits throughout the church history of persecution is that persecution purifies the church. You don't have many false converts and, and errors of persecution, when it's going to cost you something to represent the Lord, not a lot of people are signing up that don't mean it. So in errors where there's persecution of the church, you have the purest church. You don't have a lot of, you know, fake believers because it's just not it's not appealing. That, that, that looks kind of costly. I don't even know if I believe that all the way. The fake believers stay home and what you have present are those that truly Believe. I've heard this story several times. I don't know if it's true or whatever, but I've always liked, uh, I like it, you know, for, for what it demonstrates. It said, um, I believe this was in Israel and there was a church gathering, um, you know, a, 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 a group of persecuted believers gathering somewhere, um, you know, where they were under persecution for these things. And someone ran in with masks and guns and they said, everybody who's a, everybody who's a true believer in Jesus Christ, you know, stand up. And, and line up against the wall. If you don't believe, get out right now. And so a number of the people from the church left. And then the people that stayed were pretty much willing to, to die for it. And then the guy, they say he took off his mask and said, okay, I, just, I wanted to find out who the real Christians were. And, and um, now I don't, I don't believe that really happened, but could you imagine if you went home and people was like, don't come back to church next week, bro. You know, no, you, you wasn't sure you believed last week when the AKs was present, you know, um, Again, I don't know the validity of that story. I just heard it several times, and I thought, man, what, what would that be like for those that left? What would, that, what would that expose or reveal about their hearts? You know, So these believers here, they're persecuted, they're enduring it, and it's, it's bad and it's good at the same time. It's bad to you, but it does produce a different kind of faith and a different kind of church in seasons where... These things are going down. And so Jesus, again, he says, I'm the first and the last. I'm the one that was dead and I came to life. So here's a few things just to bring us to where this letter, the people that were going to read this letter, where they were living at. Once a year, uh, each Roman citizen had to bring a pinch of incense 
and burn it on the altar of the godhead of Caesar. It was part of the Caesar worship, the the idolatry that Rome uh, instituted. And so every citizen had to bring that forth as obviously Christians wouldn't do it. So if a Christian would be like, I'm not burning incense to Caesar. And this is what created the the, the heavy persecution. And so there was a, a, a emperor named Domitian known for his hatred of Christ's church, and he persecuted actively the church. Now, the word Smyrna, interesting, is where we get the word myrrh. Uh, it means myrrh or bitterness, and it's interesting. They use it to make perfume, perfume and the only way to get the perfume out of uh, this, the myrrh trees has to be, has to be, uh, has to be crushed. And as, it, as it's crushed, then the, the fragrance comes out of it. And so it was used as a fragrance. It was also used as a painkiller. If you guys remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, they presented him with a sponge that was filled with this bitter you know, substance with myrrh and water, and he refused it because he was going to take the full brunt of the pain. It was also used as a burial spice. If you guys remember when Jesus was born and they came, um, the wise men. How many wise men were there? Oh, ho, ho, ho. trick question. I'm sorry, I did that to you. We don't know how many. It was three gifts, though. Uh, we'll talk about that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I should have done that. So we don't know how many wise men there were, but there were three gifts. They brought gold, frankincense, and what? Myrrh. Gold, because he was a king. Frankincense, he was to be worshipped. He was a priest. Uh, myrrh because he came to die. And so uh, they were, he were presented with those three things then. Uh, on Easter morning, when the women came to anoint him uh, and prepare his body for burial, they brought myrrh. But they didn't get to put it on him because when they got to the tomb, he wasn't there. Amen? And so um, this is the use of those spices. That's where we get the, the word Smyrna. And I just, I like that because it's a beautiful fragrance that you only get the beautiful fragrance as it's crushed. And I think what a great name for a church that would be persecuted and and all that God wants to bring out is going to come out, but it's coming out as they're crushed, as they're persecuted. Now, as human beings, we naturally want to do our best to avoid pain and discomfort at all costs. Amen. Nobody here is looking to be persecuted on purpose. I don't believe you might be special. Most of us aren't looking for an opportunity to be mistreated in any way. So that's human nature. It's our natural inclination. Our natural bent is, I don't want to be made uncomfortable unnecessarily. If I can be comfortable or uncomfortable, I'm choosing comfort. So this isn't something that they've chosen, but it's something that God has allowed uh, in the life of this church. And he's allowed it through the life of the church. There's been persecution at every junction. Every, whenever there have been believers in God, There have been persecution of the believers. The Old Testament prophets were killed for giving prophecies. People didn't want to hear the truth through these men. They were sawn in two. They were killed. They were hacked up. They were imprisoned. They were treated poorly. Get to the New Testament. And we got Apostle Paul, and he's jailed and whipped and beaten and imprisoned. And all the apostles, you know, die for their faith. Almost all of them die for their faith in Christ, die for their testimony of the gospel under persecution. And so... Why does God allow that? Why doesn't God stop it? If he, he, he could stop it. Why doesn't he intervene and stop all the persecution from happening? That's my, that's, that was something I pondered as I looked at this persecution. Because God, you could stop it. You could, you could stop all the difficulty, all the persecution. Now, he didn't stop the persecution when it came to him. Amen? He endured it and he went through it. 
And for some reason, he doesn't choose to stop all the persecution that comes our way. And we're going to see as we go through this chapter that sometimes Satan's temptation is God's test. Satan's he's tempting you to walk away from God, to cash it all in, to quit. And God is saying, I'm proving you. I'm proving you faithful. I'm going to bless you for it. I'll reward you for it later. But the same situation that Satan is saying, I want to wreck you. God is saying, I'm just proving you. Case in point would be the book of Job. Right? God said he allowed Job to go through what from God's perspective was a test. Satan was tempting Job. He said, he's going to curse you to your face. I'm going to do everything in my power, Satan would say, to get this man to curse you to your face. I'm going to kill his kids. I'm going to take his health. I'm going to take his wealth. I'm going to break him down, everything that you've given him to bless him. I'm going to take it all away so he'll look up at you and just be like, mm, and curse you to your face. But Job didn't do that. He did the opposite. It was the biggest in your face. Job, when he lost everything, it says he fell down, he tore his clothes, and what did he do? He worshiped. It's the opposite of curse. He spoke, I mean, pronounced God's, I mean, worshiped God, and God allowed this horrendous test, and at the end of his life, God blessed him. And God gave him what money can't buy and gave him a long life, let him see his kids and kids, kids, grandkids for three generations. But it was from Satan, the temptation to destroy. From God, it was a test to prove. God had already told Satan he's upright, blameless, fears God, shuns evil. There's none like him on the face of the planet right now. Job is my dude. And Satan is like, nah, he'll curse you your face. Let me take his stuff. He only loves you because you blessed him. If you let me take all his stuff away, he'll curse you. God said, go ahead. You can do that, but you can't take his, you can't touch him. You can touch him, but you can't kill him. And God just set the boundaries and the limits to the test. And afterwards, God blessed his life. Now, again, I'm, I, Job didn't sign up for that. I mean, honestly, Job got that because he was faithful. So we got to be careful about looking at people going through it and saying, I bet they messed up. Not always. Sometimes people are going through it because they've been faithful to God. And God is saying, I'm I'm allowing you to be proven right here. Difficult what you're about to go through. It's not a punishment. Um, There'll be a blessing on the back end of it. So we got to be careful about making those kind of judgments that when people need to be embraced by us, we're, we're speculating. I bet you did something in the dark, sir. That's what Job's friends did. And um, we want to be careful not to do that when people are going through. Amen. So God could stop it, but he doesn't always stop it. And sometimes he's got a purpose in it that's greater than stopping it. So moving on, look at verse nine. A phrase he says to all the churches, I know your works. Um, God is saying to this persecuted group of believers, I know everything about you guys. I know your works. I know you guys. I know what you're going through. I know what you're doing for me. I know how difficult it is. I know your works. Now, why is that important? It's important. He said it to every church because sometimes, you know, you're doing work for the Lord and maybe people don't recognize it. Maybe nobody else sees it. We have to be reminded why he said it to every church. God would say, I know your works. Now, that's either good or bad, right? For some churches, when God says, I know your works, it's, it's good. For Ephesus, when God said, I know your works, it was a lot of good, but it was some, some bad in there. To Smyrna, when God says, I know your works, we're going to see that it's all good. God says, I know you guys. You guys are right on. You're right where you need to be. I know it's tough. Hang in there. Right? There are going to be some other churches where he has, I mean, there's going to be a church where he has nothing good to say about. That's not the church you want to be. We'll get there. Right? Um, but right here, he says, look, I know your works. I know everything about you guys. I'm going to tell you what I see. I know your works. He says, your tribulation. Um, I know you guys are going through it. I know you guys are suffering. I know you guys are enduring hardship. I know you guys are going through tribulation. I know about it. Now, 
If you're going through it, does God know that you're going through it? If you're going through a hard time, does God know he does know? You've been listening to A Transforming Word. As Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Revelation, this book is entirely fascinating, if not a little bit confusing. But don't get distracted by all the strange things mentioned and lose sight of the fact that Jesus is showing himself in a mighty way through this book. The description of Jesus in this book sounds like some fierce, ultimate superhero, someone you would want to follow but might be a little afraid of, too. But Jesus is coming to redeem a broken world. Some of the ways God will go about doing this may not be fully understandable from our perspective, but that's okay. It's still worth studying and eagerly anticipating the fact that He's coming to make all things new. What a relief. If you'd like to hear this message again, or listen to more messages from our Revelation series, go to calvaryinglewood.org. If you have some questions that you'd like answered or need someone to talk to, we're happy to speak with you and try to answer those questions. Just call 310-245-4811. Once more, That phone number is 310-245-4811. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood in Inglewood, California. Thank you for spending time with us today in the book of Revelation. We look forward to our next edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill. Make sure you tune in for the upcoming message as you're sure to learn more from this intriguing book of the Bible here on A Transforming Word.